Welcome back to SaaS Ops Leaders with David Pletus. Coming up, I'm joined by Johan Dowdy. He's the global head of IT and security at Asana. Johan has had an amazing career in IT. He's been part of some iconic companies like Workday, Twitter, Lyft, and now Asana. We had an amazing conversation. We talked about all sorts of things ranging from how IT can build trust and credibility across an org, how IT has been a differentiator at the companies that Johan has been a part of, and how he chooses which applications are available for his team to use and how that's changed over time. We also had a chance at the end to talk a little bit about the future of IT and what his predictions for that were. And those were really insightful and I, I believe spot on for, for what we're going to see in the future. That and much more is coming up now. Thank you. Hey, Johan, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here, David. Thank you very much for inviting me. Maybe we start, you can just quickly introduce yourself, you know, where you are today, you know, how long you've been in IT, just just high-level introduction about yourself. Sure. Uh, Johan Doughty, I'm the global head of IT here at Asana. I've had the great pleasure of working at a number of marquee kind of companies in the Bay Area. So prior to Asana, I was the head of IT at Lyft and prior to Lyft Twitter and prior to Twitter Workday and prior to Workday, a whole bunch of other companies you've never heard of because they never really got off the off the startup ground, uh, as it were. But I've been doing IT accidentally for a real long time, you know, 35, 40 years from back in the days of my first Commodore 64 that my parents bought thinking it was a educational instrument. But my brother and I thought of it mostly as a really cool way to play games. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, it also happens to be the catalyst for my unexpected career path in IT, which I went to school and got my BA in English literature and German literature. And I worked at the computer lab the whole time I was at school, not necessarily realizing that my job in the Mac lab, as it was called, uh, doing local talk network computing would actually be the foundation for what I ended up doing uh, as a career. So, you know, moved to the Bay Area in the 90s and you know, fell into early tech roles because that was sort of what you did in the in the early '90s, and then suddenly that 20 plus years later became a career. So I've been I've been in IT for a very long time. Part of it kind of accidentally, and you know, then maybe 15, 20 years ago, like very much intentionally, and helped bring me to where I am today. It's awesome. It's a it's a great story, and like you said, I mean, you've been part of some. I mean, truly iconic companies um, in a relatively you know short period of time in the grand scheme of things. Um, and you've seen IT, like you said, you've seen it over the years and, and it's changed a lot. Quite a lot. You know, reflecting on this period of time you've been in IT, what, what are the one, two, three biggest changes you've seen over these years? I know that's a broad question, but I think a lot of the people listening to this, I, I believe, are, are people who are earlier in their career in IT and they may not kind of have the full context of what's happened over all these years? You know, my early experiences in IT, and I think that early IT experience for a lot of folks in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, is it was really more of a hardware support kind of role. Early IT involved a lot of installing cards and power supplies into beige boxes. And so IT, you know, there's a very mechanical aspect of the engineering mindset of people that came into IT really started off as people who like to technically tinker with things and we're good with taking things apart and putting them back together. And whereas the physical hardware aspect of that has just dramatically changed over the, you know, almost nobody 
takes apart a computer to fix it anymore. That's virtually not a thing. Computers are much more like appliances these days than they are like, you know, sort of self-assembled kind of products. But the whole mindset of building and integrating and tinkering and improving, that's something that's a common thread throughout all of the years in, in IT support in different companies. IT is really in the last five or 10 years with cloud and SaaS software really dominating. I mean, I, I was at Workday when nobody knew what cloud software was. You know, Workday was really trying to make this pivotal transformation. Like we had all of our marketing logos at the time were like getting rid of software and the end of software is all about this sort of transformational cloud. And I came into that really old school, really like took me a while to kind of understand how that was going to transform the landscape. But where that has really changed is it's really brought us into a world of thinking about instead of taking apart hardware, we're kind of taking apart software. We're thinking about how do you integrate things? How do you take these processes that are running the business in different ways and connect them all together? Which kind of leads to the second major transformation in IT that I would point to is nothing is on-prem anymore. I mean, my early IT experiences were all about our data center. I mean, clearly companies still have data centers. There's Amazon, there's Google. There, there's a lot of data centers, but they're not the kind of data center where you know I'm used to spending 30 hours in an air-conditioned room building and racking and stacking and cabling and all that sort of physical hardware. Data centers more abstracted for a lot of companies. And, but it's also not on-prem. So most of the companies that I started out with, even up to you know some of the early days in Workday, we were still building out big server rooms on-prem. All of our stuff is running out of there. You know, even at some point, like things like email, you know, email used to be a service that people managed in their own internal data center on site, whether that was Exchange or SendMail or, you know, any of those options. So there's really been this like transformational change of where the things you support are. And they're again, they're no longer on site. They're all in the cloud. But the third thing, and I think this is this is one of the most important things that IT has really transformed into a service and support organization. We really, really emphasize. I like to think IT is essentially a customer support organization that just happens to be technology focused. Our early career folks, we really look for service and customer support skills, and then the technology you can train. You can always train someone who's trainable and open. It's a lot more challenging to train people to be empathy oriented, customer service oriented, you know, really get in that mindset of the customer is always right. That the horrible, and I, I use this word intentionally, old school tropes of the idea, oh, the IT, the crusty IT guy sitting in the corner scorning everyone, you know, it was like a fun moment of, of derision. But that's not at all what we aspire to be anymore. So there's no more, you know, holding in knowledge, secret society of person who knows the technical answer to everything. We really want our support folks in IT to just be, you know, evangelists, advocates, support oriented to empower the users to do work. We want people to want to come to us. We don't want to ever be perceived. And this is true of any of the IT organizations that have been part of we want people to think of us as their trusted partner that can keep them working, to enable them and, and to keep them supported. So for me, it's not like numbers and metrics, like how many tickets did we close? How fast did we do this? It's really more quality. Like, are we making people feel like 
they're our trusted partner. And I look forward to the day where nobody ever remembers that, oh, IT people used to be kind of this form of derision. Oh, it's the crusty IT person who's going to, you know, talk down to me when, you know, the, everything from Saturday Night Live to the wonderful British show, The IT Crowd, you know, that <laughs> yeah. that's the whole kind of like metaphor of IT we want to eliminate. They will really see us as a trusted partner. And then you build on that becomes more like business enabler. That's sort of getting back to that cloud integration piece. So that, that those are three sort of major ideas that I like to think, think of it. How has IT changed? And, and there's innumerable other ways, as, as I'm sure we all know. Those three by themselves, I feel are just, I mean, it's a 180, you know, in, in so many ways. I mean, really, we're not, we're not talking about like small evolution. I mean, there have been evolutionary steps along the way. But if you go back to when you started to where we are today, it's actually a, a revolution. Yeah, I mean, IT used to be like hiding in the basement away from everyone. We are now like prominently located mid-building. We, we actually call, we call our service desk area the IT support lounge. You know, we, we want to encourage people to kind of come there, talk to us, hang out with us, and, and never, never fear for a moment that there's any kind of strangeness of having to approach IT for support. So you you talked before about being the trusted partner, and I I like that, and I hear that a lot more and more. I would say from from IT leaders, this is both a strategic and kind of tactical question: is how do you get that trust? Because I think to your point, there's a perception sometimes in the executive ranks. I would say you know people have been around for a while; they may have a different view. Like just how do you build the trust and that? That credibility. Well, well, trust and credibility are always earned, never granted, never to be taken for something as automatic of like, well, just because we might think we're doing a great job, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone else does. And there's a few obvious ways to get there. One, in being an IT leader myself and running a leadership team, we do a lot of diplomatic work. Our job is to really advocate for the team and help advertise what we are. And one of the challenges in IT is always being perceived as the organization that says no if you can't do something. And while on the one hand, we want to be the organization of yes, and with, with my team, I always have a, my, my kind of standard talking point is always like, let's find the pathway to yes, let's figure out how to get there. But a lot of that requires, you know, clear communication, transparency. If you can't do something, you shouldn't lead with, well, we can't do that right now. You should really lead with, let's talk more about what that's going to take to do. And then let's figure out how do we build that into our current process? How do we put that into the pipeline? How do we escalate that up the backlog if it needs to? But you actually have to develop some process that shows what work you're doing and for whom and be transparent about it. Because if you want to say yes and let's figure out how to make something work, you really need to have a way of displaying, well, here are the other things that we're working on. This is what's priority ranked. Let's work with you to find out a place. How do we slot that in? Can we shuffle something around? Can we reprioritize? It's incumbent on IT leaders to actually build that process, and it it takes work. It doesn't just happen automatically. You have to do the roadshows. You have to do the listening tours. You have to connect with other leaders across your organization. And you have to make sure your team knows how this process works because the, the, the secret Achilles heel of every IT organization is that most people in IT are super friendly and super helpful and they want to fix something. And if anyone comes to someone with a problem, many people on the team will just start working on it right away. Let's get that done. Let's help you out. And that may actually not always be the best pathway for success because 
individual contributors on the team, even with the best intentions, don't always run the roadmap for what are we committed to doing? What are we supposed to be working on? What have we guaranteed some of our business partners were doing? But if you have these processes built and in place, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to say, and if you're using a great work management platform like Asana that can really help you, sorry to do the, the plug, but, you know, clearly having that framework that you can actually display, here's what we're working on. This is how much this is going to take. This is our committed timelines. We want to help you business stakeholder with your project too. Here it is. And that, that really also goes back to customer service. That really goes back to, you know, whether I'm hiring for a network engineer or a deployment specialist or IT support, every one of those people, we, we want them to kind of have this sort of built into their DNA that we're here to support users. And sometimes supporting users means giving them clear direction about when you can do something and how and why. Because there's nothing worse than starting on a project that you didn't really have cleared with your other workload and then having to stop it and then explain to the user why they're not getting exactly what they want. So some of those business processes, building those into your DNA as an organization is, is very critical. You mentioned earlier the skills that IT people need in, in today's world and all of what you just said and doing the the, the roadshow and, and having all the different conversations and coming up with the, I mean, just realistically, this is a different set of skills than than break fix type of work. It, it, you actually just there illustrated why the those skills are, are so important. I'll point out their skills. You can learn skills. You know, that's why that's why when when you're hiring in IT, you really you focus on people's potential sometimes a little bit more than like what their current skill set looks like. You know, person with an open mind, the ability to learn, the ability to fail and learn from failing, way more valuable of a resource than super expert who knows everything about everything. Because candidly, it's been 25 or more years since ever, anybody could know everything there is to know about technology. I mean, in maybe in the 70s, you could be that one person who knew everything about Unix, 100 million percent. You were just the, the Unix storehouse of knowledge. We are so far past that point now in turn, you know, just pick any one technology. It's not even possible to learn everything about that anymore. So we've really evolved kind of back to your original question. We've evolved from this place where, you know, there was a finite amount of knowledge about technology to a place where every day there's a new infinite amount of knowledge being created. And no one can know all of that, but people who can learn, who can fail, who can participate and collaborate, they're going to learn whatever they need to do to get the job done. And that's, you know, when I'm, when you're hiring, that's what we, what's why I look for, I'd encourage people to, you know, don't just accept the first candidate who seems to meet all your qualifications. Wait, wait till you find that person who's got the potential to kind of grow and, and learn. One of the things that I've been thinking about is the companies you've been a part of, at least from my knowledge, and we work with them in some way, shape, or form, uh, most of them in, as a partner or customer or whatever the case may be, I feel like technology is a competitive advantage for some of these companies or has been a competitive advantage and for an Asana and, and for many of the companies you've been a part of. And that really, again, obviously comes back to IT, but how do you think about that? Meaning, how do you think about IT as a differentiator really? You know, I, I, cause I think it is, I think, I think you look at two companies doing the same thing, selling the same product to the market with the same people 
with a different stack of software, with a different set of IT kind of leaders and team members and a different, I don't know. I just want to get your sense. Have you seen that in these organizations? And is there something common there? Is there a way to do that? I guess is my question, you know? You know, well, building any team is always a very conscious process. You know, obviously, sometimes when you step into an organization, you inherit the team that's there. And then your job becomes, you know, how do we work with this group to kind of help them in a transformational way? The one common thread of the places, the last four places that I worked is they are moving at the speed of light or approaching the speed of light. And the mindset generally of the people that you need to bring in is very build oriented. We're, we're not in like, you know, main and sustain mode in any of those companies. It was like, there's going to be a complex set of problems that you can never have anticipated that will be coming right around the corner anytime. And whether that's, you know, Workday, Twitter, <laughs> Lyft, or Asana, everything is like a giant open green field of unknown of what's happening next. We know we're growing. Where are we growing? Those decisions will be made and suddenly we'll pivot to accomplish them. How many people are we growing? We we don't know until we hire, but I'll guarantee you in most of those companies, headcount projections were underestimated by, you know, five to 10%. Everything that you're doing in these companies, and this is one of the common threads, they look for people who have seen things at scale and who have seen things grow and expand. I look at companies often as going through a life cycle and I have a 12 year old. So I'm obviously thinking in terms of, children's evolution. You have like these early day stages where it's just all about investment in the future. What are you building? Are you building the thing that's going to every year you have to redo it? Or are you building the thing that's designed to really accompany five years of, of growth in the future? So I try to think, where are we going to be in five years? Is the structure that we're starting to put in place going to scale to a five-year growth plan or not? And if, and, and I'll just be honest, I didn't know this at first. So some of my earlier experiences in this were very good learning experiences of why, you know, don't shoot at the target, shoot ahead of the target. That's early career things that you learn that can't be trained is you always need to account for the fact that your company will grow. And then, and if you're not accounting for the company's growth, something's probably wrong with that company. And you should like figure out, do I really want to be here? Is this the right thing for me? Because, and, and just as tying back to that, some companies don't grow a lot, and that's totally fine. But you will attract a different type of individual who's excited by like growth and unknown and uncertainty, kind of an explorer mentality. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but boy, are we going to be ready for it? Because no one can prevent all catastrophe. Who who knew COVID would change the way it did? But people can respond to different things. And that's you know another sort of signal that you look for is like, Who's here for the excitement of the unknown versus who's kind of just trying to be good in their job and, and kind of maintain? Because there, there really becomes a different life cycle stage where eventually a company is big. I've kind of like put most of the big growth behind them. Everything's kind of established. The mindset or type of person who wants to do that is usually a little bit different, a little bit more conservative, not really looking for surprises. And that's more of like a maintain mentality. And I've just been fortunate that the companies that I've been with during that time have really all been in that growth phase. And it's a little, it's invigorating. I must admit, there's probably like a little endorphin or adrenaline rush of, all right, here we go again. It's kind of like out onto the battlefield of, of what's, what's the next year going to bring for us. But the more you do it, the more you can kind of plan, anticipate and understand 
So that if you're designing your organization, you have an org that flexes and grows and expands, not just a bunch of static subject matter experts who at some point might find themselves like painfully underskilled to handle what's coming next if they don't have that kind of flexibility built in. I think if there's one truth to fast growing companies is change. I mean, constant, constant change. And and to your point, there's a different type of person who wants that or is comfortable, let's say, with that constant change. Because that's the truth. That is the one truth. Like if you're growing very quickly, then things are going to change. And usually that means that things are going well <laughs> and you're making those changes, you know, for the right reasons. Completely. Yeah. The, the fun metaphor is kind of like rebuilding the aircraft while it's in flight. You know, that's often, often how it is. And if you've sort of set yourself up to think that that's going to be happening and will, then, then you will, you will be successful. And if you have sort of set things in a really rigid framework, because that's what works today, you, you may not be so successful in, in kind of rebuilding the flight, but my, my sense is everything will always keep changing. Change is a word I use a lot with my team to help them, un, you know, I'm thinking about it. That means you can think about it too. And it's okay. It's okay that things continually change. When you think about your environment and you think about the applications, the, you know, to your point, obviously Asana itself, one of the, the most popular SaaS applications. When you think about the environment that you, that you have there and the, the applications you make available to the business, how do you do that? How do you choose what is available to employees? How do you monitor it or make sure that people are using the applications you want them to be? Or do you care what they use? You know, what's the philosophy there? This is something that I have been thinking about a lot for years. And I remember, you know, when I started at Workday, we had maybe three cloud applications. We had obviously Workday. And, you know, we had like, you know, Salesforce and then a couple other kind of things. We didn't have 400 or 600. Or, I see these numbers all the time in reports. Your company probably has 500 cloud-based apps you've never heard of before. I'm like, well, that may or may not be true. But what's important there is, one, the old school model of IT had systems administration as a really clear practice inside the team. There were sys sysadmins and they did Unixy or Windows sysadmin things. We've really, you know, I've really like changed the focus in companies that I've been in, Leslie, to really have identity and access management team that IAM or identity and access management, it's a cornerstone foundational service that IT provides. How do you get access to all of these things? How do we manage access in managing access controls compliance concerns? It controls licensing. It controls all of these different how do people get access to things? You know, central IAM platform, systems and tools behind the scenes, helping automate onboarding and offboarding processes. This is like a core function of IT. And it's one that users don't necessarily know about or think about, but our business partners, it's very important that we have this done right so that when a user comes to you and says, hey, we're really interested in this new time management software, that we actually have an intake process in place. So th there's two pieces to that. One, IT needs to be ready with their world-class IAM team, knowing how we're managing user lifecycle process, end-to-end, -end, access, identity, and application integration. But on top of that, we have partnerships with all of the other teams who have clear stake in the how do we bring new software in process. 
legal, privacy, security, procurement, IT, we're all players in this. We, in our in, in Asana, we've done a really good job, and I don't mean to sound boastful, but I think we've done a really good job of connecting all of those processes together so that there's a framework for when a user wants some software, the answer never is, uh, uh, well, I don't know, you should probably work on buying it. It's actually, here, uh, start with this page, read through the list, start filling out all these different processes. We have the processes in place for intake. Now, one other thing that can happen in that intake process, because IT reviews new requests, as says our security and privacy team, when we start to realize, wait, there are two different orgs unconnected, both trying to use some new kind of software that's the same, I wonder if they were aware that this other team is trying or thinking of something else. We can help be that connective tissue for the business to say, by the way, you're thinking about this time management software, but did you realize this other team has just finished an implementation of time management software? Let's connect you together, see if there's overlap. Because tool sprawl, to kind of get back to your question, it's, it's a real challenge for folks having a hundred different ways to do the same thing inside of one business. You know, I remember at a previous company I worked at, I won't say which one, but we did a, a, an employee poll. And one of the number one complaints for the users was like, I have no idea how I'm supposed to work here. There's like 14 different chat platforms and three different, you know, 15 different work management platforms. And there's four different things that might be our uh, wiki. Like, which one are we supposed to use? And, and that really causes a lot of pain and 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 consternation in, in users because yeah everyone should know oh yeah I'm interested in benefits oh I just went to the one place typed in the word benefits ah there it is I figured it out that's so painful especially for high growth companies to not know what tools you're supposed to use so we work with teams like the corporate communications team to set out guidelines like when you're doing now in Asana it's pretty straightforward because we sell a work management platform so we have exactly one platform for work management. It makes it very easy for people to kind of understand, but then we put out guidelines like, oh, well, you know, here's the tool that you should use for video conferencing. Here's this tool. So we try to publish or make it clear what tools are used for each. And again, that's something that if you work in conjunction with your corporate communications team, you know, whether that's one person or 50, depending on the size of your org, they'll help you with that kind of like messaging to users. So, you know, IT is never an island. We have to do things with our business partners and learning the landscape of who are the people that will help out in this so that if somebody comes to legal, like, hey, will you just sign this contract because we need to be done? Legal actually knows to say, oh, well, there's a whole vendor onboarding program. Have you done the budget process? Have you done the security review process. So all of our stakeholders are bought into the same process, which actually makes it a lot easier for, you know, and, and I hate, I hate the term shadow IT. I think it's so disrespectful to people who just want to get some work done. People come into, I used this tool before. I want to use it again. I put it on my credit card. Can I get reimbursed? And then if there's a clear, oh, well, this hasn't actually been approved for use. So it, it doesn't like get reimbursed yet. You need to go through this whole process. If you don't have that process, people will just be confused and do whatever they want. And then your business, maybe not on day one or maybe not on day 300, but by a couple years into organic change and growth without structure inside your org, that's going to bring up one of those scenarios where there's like so many different wikis and every team has its own wiki. Every team has its own work management platform. How are we supposed to work together as a company? 
those are like important things I think for IT leaders now to be thinking about. Like, it's not just the what's of the tool, like which tool are using, it's the how, how is it being used? How does it serve the business? How are these connected together? So IT being a stakeholder in that process, I think is really instrumental in, in getting to more harmony over application usage. I mean, there's never a perfect scenario. There'll always be outliers. There'll always be. But if your general framework captures most of the use cases, you, you will avoid sort of catastrophic tool overload failure, which I think is easy to do when the subscription to any new software is literally a click away because, oh, it's free for the first two years, yeah, two yeah. months or two years or whatever, until you have like 400 users and then their sales organization suddenly reaches out and says, by the way, um, we'd like to move you to our enterprise plan for only $150,000. <laughs> and then everybody, everybody gets surprised. When you say that and you're describing it, I think about the 10 years since I've started BetterCloud and really been spending so much time with, with IT leaders. And I've seen the pendulum kind of swing from you know, first of all, there was no SaaS apps to your point, you know, everyone was using one or two. So it was like not a problem. <laughs> Very quickly, the pendulum in like the 2014-15 was all shadow IT. Everything is bad that's being brought into the organization. Shut it down, lock it down. Like that was like that 14, 2014-2015. Then I think COVID was a big driver in swinging the pendulum all the way in the other direction, where then to your point, it's like 400 SaaS apps now being used. It's a free-for-all because we don't, we cannot slow down our team. We're no longer in the office. We don't have, and I feel like to your point, it's a little bit kind of coming back now to this middle ground of, okay, we're not shutting it all down because that's ridiculous. And we're also not just going to have it be wide open and just let everyone use everything in the world. And actually someone else I interviewed for the podcast, he said, uh, this guy, Craig Holland, he said, IT and the rest of the org, to your point, needs to create a walled garden of Eden for our users. So they have everything they need and they don't feel like jumping the walls to go <laughs> get other stuff, but we've created a beautiful environment for them that has everything they can think of, you know, and, and I thought that was just a really interesting imagery to think, you know, just you have everything you need. Don't look out there. Don't look over there. We have what you need and we've given you enough, you know, and, and, and we're protecting you. Does that resonate? Yeah. The, the, some of the ways that resonates is users don't often think about privacy laws or data export or all of these things that, you know, governance and, and compliance make IT leaders think about all the time. So they might just be thinking, I, I want a quick and easy way to work. So I've loaded all of my work content into this free account for something. And then that company might get hacked or bought and you're kind of, you know, you're exposed. End users don't ever think about that. That's, you know, IT leaders think about that. Uh, so actually having a simplistic framework for them to operate in like, oh yeah, we want to help support you deploy the tool you want. So our Garden of Eden might be a little bit more of a, uh, a garden of welcoming people into the process. <laughs> I, I would argue perhaps that the walls of the garden will always have to be expanded when the brand new tool, like instant video messaging that's become like just over uh, my LinkedIn feed just has like 15 new like people video chatting me every day. Like, hi, I just wanted to, I'm like, I don't know who you are, please. I'm going to delete this, but, but that that's like a, an emerging technology or, you know, digital whiteboarding or some of these other technologies that just came really fast last year, virtual experience world stuff. 
your your Garden of Eden may not have had room for that plot to be planted. So as long as your garden can expand and is listening, I, I, I totally agree with that metaphor. As long as it's not fixed, because the, the reality is there is nothing in technology that is fixed. There is no end for people's imagination of, you know, I mean, I watch old Star Trek episodes now. I'm like, oh my God, they all had cell phones back in the 60s in the future. Didn't know it yet. But here we all are now walking around with our handheld devices, looking up stuff, analyzing the environment. We've all got our own personal tricorder with us all the time. You don't know what's going to happen next in technology. As long as your framework is flexible enough to accept the new things in, and you know, some things that were once king of the hill, like kind of over time, sort of peak and, you know, who, whoever thought Skype wasn't going to be the dominant force of, of everything always. Sorry, Microsoft. But, you know, the, the, the but technology changes, people's personal whims change. And that, that's actually another theme that I, that I think a lot about is that there is no one who comes into the workforce now who doesn't already have a clear vision of what technology they like to use and how. So when I think back to when I first started, like, Sometimes you'd be handing a person, well, you wouldn't be handing it. You'd be sitting a person at their new desktop. And this is like the only computer they've ever used in their whole life. You know, it was like a miracle. You went to work and like, oh my gosh, I've got this huge monitor and this, and like everybody just has this automatically in their house now by default. Every kid has already been, you know, on Google. My son is in Google apps, right? You know, every, everybody uses Google all the time for stuff. You don't arrive at work and have to learn how to use the email system. And feeding back to that last point, this also means that everybody who's coming into work already has some preconceived notions about what they wanna be using to do their job. Every new director that comes into your company has a toolbox in mind and they had to hear the 10 tools that I've been using for 10 years and I know they're great. Oh, we're not using those. Well, we've got to figure out how to start using them. So your, your job in IT also has to be open to the fact that everyone who comes in and is new is going to come in with ideas about what they would like to be using. And you need to be ready for that discussion of, oh, well, that's a really great tool. We already have an engagement with this company. Let's talk about what be missing. And then another hat that the IT leads or teams often wear is the, I'm going to talk to the product folks at this other company and make some suggestions. You know, we keep open lines of dialogue with anyone we're doing business with. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying this to sound self-important, but I've helped relay to different companies. Hey, if you added these three features, our users would be so much happier. Um, that's an important role. You know, we, we're at Sana, we call it like the voice of the customer. We care what people think. We want to know that's how our product can get better and improve. And companies that are open to that, you know, get a lot of purchase. But really a lot of that ties into the fact that nobody arrives at work anymore, uh, sort of, you know, Oh gosh, technology. I've never seen these cool things before. Everybody already comes in like, oh, I know how I like to work and I, I hope that I can continue to work the same way here. So it's our job to help socialize them into different things when that's not maybe the way they like to do it or help them take bring in something new if it adds different value to the, the company. So as long as that fits into that Garden of Eden metaphor, I think that works really well, but the garden has to grow and expand perhaps beyond its walls or boundaries. I wrote an article, I think it must have been 2012 for 
Mashable or something back then, you know, 2012, 2013 called Growing Up Google. <laughs> and it was an article basically saying at the time, all these kids are using Google in school and they're giving it away to all the schools. All the schools are using it. And we at that time had I mean, a lot of customers, schools, you know, and mostly K through 12, even some colleges. And I was looking at it going, these kids are using Google. I mean, at the time they were using Google Docs to do their roll call, you know, and their their attendance. And I'm thinking to myself, when these kids get out of college, which for some of them, that's what this 10 year window, you know, since I or eight year window, they're going to want to use the technology that they used in school and that they lived with day in day out and that's what they're comfortable with yeah well i mean apple made that great long bet a long time ago heavily focusing on the k-12 market i mean all all throughout college everything was an apple computer everywhere on campus and then guess what happens about 10 years later everyone in the workforce hey i'd like to be using that titanium power book that just came out yeah you know, yeah that Suddenly, I remember when Windows was just the dominant, overwhelming force in the business world. And then all of a sudden, 2008, yeah. Right, yeah. suddenly the fulcrum tilted to the other side and bam, you know, now we've got like in many companies, even like, you know, IBM has like a massive deployment of, you know, Fletcher Previn, who's their CIO, is like just an amazing, like, transformation like a company that used to be known for the production of windows systems is now like so heavily mac so you know kudos to them for the long bet on kind of hooking people into technology yeah yeah it's smart we've talked a lot about change we've talked a lot about that's the one constant um and you've seen the evolution of it let's if we fast forward of course like you said you don't you know no one knows the future no one knows what it'll hold but you fast forward five, 10 years from now, what are you most excited about, you know, in terms of workplace technology going forward? And I'm curious where, what you're seeing maybe that are in the early days or that you wish, you know, will, will mature. Yeah. One, one of my predictions is that within the next five to 10 years, the keyboard and mouse will disappear completely from the like kind of arsenal that voice recognition becomes so I mean, I, I almost never type on my phone anymore. I use voice to text. Well, I, I make sure to carefully spell check and edit it before <laughs> I send off the message. But I, I really think that like voice input becomes a lot more common. I mean, I remember when voice input was just like a thing that barely worked to help people who might have had an injury or couldn't like, you know, otherwise enter, you know, touch screens are just more prevalent. Like my son puzzlingly touches my MacBook screen and doesn't understand why it doesn't like his iPad, you know, respond to touch. I think that we'll see a lot of changes in the sort of way people interact with computers and technology. Even the form factor of a laptop is largely designed around the idea that it has a keyboard for input. It's possible to see that like really change or evolve or go away. And, and there, there'll be some traditionalists probably like myself who still insist on a, a keyboard or other input device. But, you know, the fact is that laptops and computers have largely become appliances at this point, more than like a thing that you can change the memory, change the hard drive. You know, I'm, we grew up in this era of customization and configurability on computers. I just see they're, they're becoming more mass market. So that whole iPhone, iPad, 
you know, MacBook just blends into like sort of like one universal device that's mostly just a screen that you carry around or you, you know, mirror it to your external display or something. I suspect that's not as far off in the future as it might have seemed, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Um, I suspect integrations become much more mature and commonplace between just about everything. There's some pretty obvious integration points between a lot of business applications now, but as some of the clear market leaders float to the surface and some of the other not so uh, established, you know, players in the space fade away, there becomes a lot more connective, you know, unless of course, Microsoft and Salesforce just buy every company and incorporate them into themselves, which hopefully that doesn't happen. There's a lot more easily connective tissue between integrations because these days everybody wants a simpler way to do it. And, and obviously I would, I would be remiss not to say that, you know, I feel like work management platforms become really much more prevalent. I think once you've started using a work management platform instead of email as your primary way to track and organize what work you're doing, because let's face it, historically, most of us Email is probably the most overloaded technology of all time, you know, started off as a quick and easy way to people to send system status messages and has like evolved largely without the technology transforming in a meaningful way into the primary way that people communicate with each other about everything that they're doing, business process or otherwise. Um, I really think that companies, and, and I am saying this partially because I work for a company that that does this as a living, but also because I think once you really get hooked into a different style of working that's not email driven, you can't go back. There isn't like a return, oh yeah, I'll just go back and do everything sorting in the email. It, it becomes very challenging to do that. So clearly cloud software is here to stay and, and not going anywhere anytime soon. It's, it's an interesting time. That could all be right or that could all be wrong. And that's the, the reality is like, yeah, you know what? No one, no one's a great prognosticator of what's to come in five or 10 years, because I would have never guessed in 2003 or four when I was really excited. Actually, I can't remember. Whatever the BlackBerry first came out, I thought this is the best thing ever. Nothing will ever be better than having <laughs> this. And then the iPhone came out and ate everybody's lunch and then goodbye, small typing device. So it's hard to tell, but you know, I, I feel like we're definitely like consumer, the sort of consumer world and the business world from a technology standpoint, really merged and probably won't separate. Here's, here's one other potentially, this is a real moonshot idea, but I think that BYOD or the ability for users to work securely on whatever platform or system they want is a reality in the next five or 10 years. And that the the era of tight management around hardware that IT organizations provision, I see pathways for how that can lessen over time, not tomorrow, not next year. But I, I think that, you know, and there's a lot of different ways that can manifest, but, you know, a lot of it ties to identity and access and identity really being the key. Like as long as your identity is verifiable and secure, it doesn't and most of the data is ephemeral or not on the system you're working on. 
it's a lot easier to, to be able to kind of loosen the grip on tight control, which is obviously something in IT we've had a long-term vested interest. So again, it all will go back to IT organizations need to be able to change and adapt to the times. I mean, let's find out. I like all of those predictions. I'll tell you that the voice one is interesting because talking about the Google and Apple and being in the schools early, I see the voice one with my kids with a Google Home and before they could read or write, I mean, they still, one of them can't yet read or write. They they are playing music. They're watching videos. They've learned so much. The other day they told me something, I forgot, something that they had learned about some random animal because they had had an entire conversation with the Google Home. And, and when you say that, I feel the same as the Google apps or the Apple devices where you're like, and the, you also said the consumer and, and, and corporate enterprise technology merging. And you, and you think like, okay, when they're coming out of college and they're going to work, are they going to sit there and be typing some long thing and doing a lookup in the database to find this data point? Or they're just going to say to their computer, you know, what's the pipeline this court? Like, are they just going to talk to it and it's going to return yep. back to the, the result? Right, right, right there back to Star Trek. Like, <laughs> computer, tell me this. Okay, right. great. Here it is. Yeah. So, so funny. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a big Star Trek fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously obsessed and, and really excited and interested when modern technology matches the like imaginations of, you know, future futurists and future thinkers of the past. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll have to have a conversation again in 10 years and see you know, <laughs> if, if these things all, uh, all came true. Johan, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. This was awesome. I appreciate you taking the time and um, I've learned a lot here. I hope, I hope everyone enjoys listening to this and Yeah, I will have to do it again. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks again to Johan for joining me for today's episode. And thanks to you for listening to the entire episode. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to SaaS Ops Leaders with David Politis on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And if you want to learn more about SaaS Ops, please visit sasops.com.